we have begun a study, or a series, if you will, entitled The Wonder-Working Power in the Precious Blood of the Lamb. Last week was our first sermon on the subject, and what we're doing is we're taking some time to consider the six questions that are asked in this song, and to discover from the Word of God how the blood of Jesus Christ answers each one of those six questions. I don't know how long we'll be in this series, but we'll be here as long as God wants us to be. If you're joining us out in your vehicle, we're thankful that you're with us this morning. Appreciate you taking the time to drive in and listen to the services this morning. Look at page 132 of your hymnal. We'll look at the second question. Let's start there at the beginning of verse number one of this song. It says, Would you be free from the burden of sin? Would you be free from the burden of sin? And you'll remember last week we asked that question. Would you be free from your burden of sin? And we considered what our lives were like previous to the blood of Jesus being applied to our hearts. The fact was that we were chained by darkness, we were counted with the enemy, and we were captive to sin previous to the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood being applied to our lives. I tried to emphasize to you last week, the truth is there's not a single perfect person in this building. There's not a single one of us that think that we're in any way, shape, or form even close to perfect. I've often joked about my GPS that I used to have in my car. Of course, now you've just got your phone and it takes you everywhere and you you don't even have to have a map. If my phone ever went down and I had to read a map, fortunately, I think I could get there because my dad trained me. But I tell you, if the phones went down, everybody would just be lost, wouldn't they? But used to, you'd have GPS that stuck to your windshield and you'd have to upgrade it every three or four months to make sure all the roads were right. And one of my favorite things about my old GPS was whenever I got to the destination that I had plugged in, she would always give me a bit of a confidence booster. It really was something that kind of kept my ego where I wanted it to be. And she would say, you have arrived. That's what she always said. You have arrived. I thought, man, that that always felt so good. I, I always liked that. You have arrived. None of us have arrived, have we? If we're all honest with ourselves, we are all sinners saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not any of us that are even anywhere close to perfect in here. And we know that to be true, and we consider what our lives were like before Christ. As imperfect as we are now, we remember even being more imperfect in the past, right? And if it were not for the blood of the Lamb being applied to our lives, we would still, to this present day, be chained by darkness, encountered with the enemy, and captive to sin. Then we looked at the reason for the power in the blood. The truth is, the reason that we sing about the blood of the Lamb, the reason we preach about the blood of the Lamb, the reason we have not wiped the blood of the Lamb out of this place is because this was not just any blood. This was the blood that was shed by the only begotten Son of God. This was the blood of Jesus Christ shed abroad for the sins of humanity for all eternity. This was not just any blood. This was the blood of God's only Son. Then we looked last week at the peace that comes when the blood is applied. Remember those chains of darkness that bound us? They are broken by the blood of the Lamb. Remember what it was like to be 
on the other side of the line, outside of the gates in enemy territory. Praise God, our enemy citizenship is converted by the blood of the Lamb. We saw that we were captive to sin, but praise God, sin's curse is abolished by the blood of the Lamb. What great peace comes when the blood of the Lamb is applied. This week, we ask ourselves a second question that Lewis E. Jones asked in 1899 when this song was penned. Here it is. He says, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Here's the second question. Would you or evil a victory win? Would you or evil a victory win? This morning, I hate to break the news to you. I know many of you already know it. But evil is out to devour you. It's out to devour you and your family and your home and your church. Every single thing that your Christian hands touch and your Christian heart is attached to, evil is out to devour. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22. I want to read a passage of Scripture here. We actually have three different passages of Scripture that I want to read right off the bat. If you don't want to turn to all of them, that's okay. But I just want to emphasize this one point, that the forces of evil are out to destroy you. But I've got good news for you this morning. As you're turning there, there's power in the blood. We don't have to lose heart because there's power in the blood. Luke chapter number 22, look at verse number 31. The Bible says, Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter here. This is just previous to... Simon Peter denying Christ three times. Listen to what Jesus tells Simon, what he tells Peter. He says in verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Christ pulls the curtain back in the spiritual realm for just one moment to allow us to see a reality that is still present in our world today. He pulls that curtain back to allow us to see that Satan has his own desires, his own purpose, his own evil, wicked goal. And you are at the heart of it. He tells Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Of course, we could go in and be a whole nother sermon all its own to ask ourselves the question, why did Satan want Peter so bad? Of course, we know what Peter will go on to accomplish for the cause of Christ. We know that literally he with 10 others, 11 eventually, that they would literally turn the world upside down for Christ. And so Satan knew if he could just get this guy, if he could just tear him down and destroy him now, while there's a chance, he better get him now. And he knew it. Christ makes him aware of it. Now turn in your Bibles if you want to. Again, you don't have to turn to all these if you don't want to, but you can just listen to me read. 1 Peter chapter number 5. I want to just highlight some of the most familiar passages of Scripture to you regarding this idea of evil's desire to devour you and your life. 1 Peter 
chapter number 5. Now remember who it is that we just now considered back there in Luke chapter number 22. This is someone who understands this principle. This is someone who's been there and done that. He knows what it's like for Satan to turn his, his sights on him and to attack him. And this is what Peter says under inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 8. The Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking around, scanning the whole of Christianity, trying to figure out who he's going to take next. It's why the Bible says that we must be sober, be vigilant. Because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter number 12. Just how evil is evil. What lengths will it go to? How, how ravenous is this beast that we call evil? Look at Revelation chapter number 12. If you think that somehow evil has limits, you're wrong. Revelation chapter number 12 and look at verse number 3 and verse number 4. The Bible says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. Who are we talking about? The devil. That's who's being referred to here. But look at the rest of verse number 4. It says that he drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. But look at the second part of the verse. It says, And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. The Bible scholars vary on the perspective of what this verse is referring to. I believe, I personally believe, this is referring to the converts, those Jews who will place their faith and trust in Christ, the woman being Israel, out of Israel, there are birthed children of God during the tribulation period. And Satan, as this evil, wicked red dragon, stands prepared as these children are birthed into the family of God to just devour them and snuff their lives out immediately. Now again, Bible scholars vary on it. The point I'm trying to make is that evil is out to get you. It's out to devour you and to destroy you. But... I do not this morning want God's people to lose heart. You know, Satan has a way of getting us to downplay evil's influence and overestimate evil's power. I want you to think about that for a moment. Satan has a way of getting God's people to downplay evil's influence. It's not really evil. It's just an alternative lifestyle. It's just a fun video game. It's just one class. It's just a, you know, kind of a, a head-banging song. You know, it's not really that big of a deal. And, and somehow, this is amazing how this works. Somehow, on one hand, Satan has gotten God's people to, to downplay evil's influence and call it by a number of different names. 
And at the same time, he has somehow convinced God's people to overestimate evil's power. No hope for my kids in this world. Just such a dark world. I don't know what we're ever going to do. Church is never going to make it. I mean, if you look around us, we're just completely surrounded by evil. I don't know what we're going to do. How is it that Satan has done such a masterful job bringing our hearts to a place where we don't really see evil as evil, but then we see evil as evil? It's amazing to me. He is, the, by the way, just so we're clear, Satan is the greatest manipulator of all times. How do you know that, preacher? The Bible tells me here in Revelation chapter number 12, he drew a third, a third, think about that, a third of all the angels of heaven he brought with him. Convinced them that somehow he was going to usurp the authority of God. That's a master manipulator. Now, if he can manipulate the angels that are in the presence of God, don't you think it's possible that he can manipulate you and I into thinking things we should not think? You better believe he can. And what I'd like to do is I would like to recapture by the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit our perspective on this subject this morning. We're asking the question, would you or evil a victory win? And I believe there are Christians in this building today who would, who would admit, I don't think evil can be defeated. I think it's too far gone. It's too late. It's all over. They've won the masses. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter number 6. Those of you in Sunday school saw me over there in the corner all quiet with my nose to the grindstone. And you're probably wondering what in the world is the preacher doing being all unsociable this morning. And it was this passage of Scripture that God was laying on my heart on my drive here. And I just had to jot some thoughts down. I literally wiped out the entire introduction that I had prepared yesterday and want to go here instead because I believe it's where God would have us to go. 2 Kings chapter number 6. A powerful passage of Scripture when we're considering the forces of evil ganging up against God's people and whether or not we stand a chance. 2 Kings chapter number 6. We'll begin at verse number 9 to kind of give you some groundwork on what we're looking at here. This is Elisha and Jehazi. They have been overtaken by foreign forces, because on three different times now, Elisha has gone to the leader of Israel and said, don't do this or don't go there or you need to go here instead. And on three different occasions, as I understand it, Elisha has prevented Israel from being devoured as God is leading Elijah to tell the leader of Israel where to go and what to do. Finally, the enemy has had enough. He realizes that it's not Israel that's the problem. It's Elisha. And he turns his sights away from this massive army of Israel. And he realizes if I can just kill this one man. And so he turns his attention. And that's where we find ourselves in 2 Kings chapter number 6. Look at verse number 9 with me. It says, so he built the house and finished it. I'm sorry, I'm in 1 Kings. That's not the right passage of Scripture. There we go. Chapter 6, verse 9. That looks a lot better. 
And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. So the idea is there's apparently three times or more that Elisha interjects by the leading of God and says, don't do this. Don't go there. You'll be eaten up and devoured. Verse 11, therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He thinks there's insurrection. He has convinced himself that one of the Syrians are, are playing both sides. That one of his underlings are going out under cover of darkness and whispering in the king of Israel's ear and saying, hey, you better not do this because this is where they're going to destroy you. He doesn't understand the power of God. God is telling Elisha what's happening and Elisha is the one going. Verse number 12, and one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king. He said, hey, we didn't do it. We're not out there blabbing about what your plans are. It's not us. Well, then who is it? But Elisha, verse 12, the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Think about that. He says, Elisha the prophet is going and telling the king of Israel the thoughts that are in your heart in your bed. That's how powerful our God is. Oh, but it doesn't end there, dear Christian. Look at verse 13. And he said, Go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. Seems like a little overkill for one poor little prophet. And they came by night and compassed the city about. Oh, no. All hope has been lost. There's no way out. Verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Now let me translate that into our modern day English. His servant wakes up. He sees that they are compassed about with a great host. He looks over at Elisha and he says, we're going to die. How are we getting out of this one? It's impossible. There's no way out. There's just two of us and there's countless numbers of them and we're completely surrounded. Look at verse 16. And he, Elisha, answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. What are you talking about, Elisha? Verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Say, preacher, what are you getting at here? You know, I am sick and tired of Christians. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I am sick and tired of Christians acting like we are going to lose. Listen, Christian, we have read this book from cover to cover. And if there is one thing that we can pull from this book, it's that God never loses. 
Every battle he has ever fought, every God he has abolished, every enemy of darkness that he has humiliated, the battle has never even been closed. Jesus has dominated in every single battle he has ever fought against the forces of darkness. And we know, according to the word of God, that when the final battle is fought, Jesus will not even have to swing a sword. The Bible tells us that even by the very light of his countenance, he will dissolve the entire kingdom of darkness once and for all. The point that I'm trying to make is that it's time for God's people to alter their perspective. If we could only have our spiritual eyes touched to see what God stands ready to do on our behalf, it would change the way we live. It would change the way we fight. It would change the way we sing. It would change the way that we have joy and peace. It would change the way we treat a lost and dying world. If our eyes could just be touched by the Holy Spirit of God to see what God is prepared to do on our behalf. Now, on the same hand, we wonder why it is that evil has flooded our homes and families. You say, preacher, you're talking about how God can protect us from evil, but you should see my house. I mean, evil's just run rampant all over my family. You talk about how God can keep this from happening. It's happening, preacher. We wonder why evil has flooded our homes and families. You know, back in, we talked about this last week, well, just a little bit, we alluded to this thought. But back during the time of the exodus of Israel, the one final plague that convinced Pharaoh to let God's people go was the killing of the firstborn. And there was only one way, only one way that the death angel would pass. And if it was, it was if the blood had been applied. You say evil is destroying my home. Evil is wreaking havoc in my family. Evil is beginning to reach its tentacles into my life, my mind, my heart, my church. You're talking about how God can overcome it. What's wrong then? What's going, what's going awry? <clears throat> I'm afraid that instead of applying the blood of Jesus to the doorposts of our homes, we have flung the front door wide open to allow evil to come and go as it pleases. We're blaming God for something that is not God's fault. We're saying, how could God do this? Or how could God allow this? Could I just, if I could just be so bold this morning without offending anyone... Instead of saying, why would God do this or why would God allow that? Could we just start saying, why would moms do that? Why would dads allow that? Can we just pin the fault where the fault belongs? Instead of trying to pin the fault on God for evil being so pervasive in our land, could we just admit for a second that maybe perhaps I'm the reason why evil is so pervasive in our land? Say, preacher, what are you trying to say? Listen, smart television days are numbered in my home. Can I tell you why? Because it's a gateway for evil. It's a gateway for evil, Christian. And I'm just as convicted about it as you are. 
Smartphones, its days are numbered in my family. Because it is a gateway for evil. The radio stations that you so innocently listen to while your kids are in the back seat, you realize that's a gateway for evil. Instead of applying the blood of a lamb to the doorposts of our homes, we have literally flung the door open, left the blood unapplied, and said, Hey, evil, we're over here. Could you please come and spend some time with our children? I'm passionate about this because I believe we are living in very vulnerable times. The most vulnerable in history. You go back 100 years, you had to work to get a hold of evil. You go back 50 years, evil had to work to get a hold of you. And now today, evil is licking its chops. Because we've just left our children, our homes, and our families wide open for the devouring. Dear Christian, it is time for you and I to reapply the blood of the Lamb. To close the door, to apply the blood, and to see to it that evil understands. It is not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit, saith the Lord, that we will win the victory. I guess what I'm asking is I'm asking this church, Are you ready to join me in launching from this fortress of faith a spirit-filled, God-led, Christ-honoring assault on the forces of evil? Or, as Louis E. Jones put it, would you or evil a victory win? Turn with me to Romans chapter number 8 as we get into the meat of the sermon this morning. Romans chapter number 8. I spent the first part of the introduction warning you about how evil's out to devour you. I want to spend the rest of the sermon trying to drive home the thought that as long as the blood of the Lamb has been applied, evil does not stand a chance against your home. Evil doesn't stand a chance against your church. Evil does not stand a chance against your children. We know that evil is against us. Look at Romans chapter number 8. In verse number 31, I love Romans chapter number 8. One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, if I'm just being perfectly honest with you. There's just something special about this. I heard a preacher say one time, it's like a cold glass of iced tea on a very hot summer day. I think that's about right. Romans chapter number 8, verse 31, it says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If you want to memorize a verse today, memorize that verse. Take that one home. Put it up on your refrigerator. Put it up on your bathroom mirror. Read that every single day. If God be for us, who can be against us? Truth is, evil is against you. Evil is against you. But see, it's the blood of Christ that proves that God is for you. Remember, the answer to the question, would you or evil a victory win? The answer to the question is, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. There's wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. It's the blood of Christ that serves as a proof that God is for us. In Romans chapter number 5, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, how does this passage of Scripture describe how God feels about us? Look, at, look again with me at verse number 31 of Romans chapter number 8. It says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son and delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with, us, uh, with him also freely give us all things? Now turn back with me to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 8. I want to read this to you and, and just point out a few thoughts to you about this idea of God being for you. With the understanding that if God is for you, then you are just fine. You've got nothing to fear. You've got nothing to worry about if God is for you. Notice in, in verse number 8 it says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Four ways that the Bible in these two verses describes for us how God is for us. The first one is in His love. His love toward us. God loves you. You know, I love my children. How many of you think... We've got bobcats in our woods. Okay? I'm going to use them as an illustration. Maybe I could throw out a coyote. But I'll use a bobcat because it's kind of more exciting. Okay? How many of you, if my little baby Charity... Now, I'm just, just be honest with me this morning. If my little baby Charity was out there at the build site, and I had my tool apron on, and I was up there on the wall trying to get something built, and my little baby Charity was sitting out there, and Mama maybe was over here dealing with one of the other babies, and I saw a bobcat, slowly prowling towards my child. How many of you think what I would... What would I do? Can I tell you what I'd do? As fast and as hard as I could run. I would jump off a ladder. I don't care if I broke both my legs. I wouldn't take my tool belt off. I'd let my tools go flying everywhere. I would run as fast and as hard as I could. And before that bobcat had a, ch a chance to get to my child, I would pounce the bobcat. So, man, you might get hurt, preacher. That's okay. If I died, it'd be okay. As long as she was okay. Say, so what are you getting at? God loves you. And He sees evil lurking around the corners. He knows what is out to get you. But He loves you. And for that reason, child of God, you've got nothing to worry about. You see where I'm going with this? We live in such constant fear. We live so overwhelmed by the darkness of the day. But God loves us. He is for us. Evil doesn't stand a chance. Not only does He have love toward us, but the second way that the Bible describes in these two verses how God is for us is that He died for us. Has God not already proven that He will literally go to any lengths for us? He already proved it on the cross of Calvary when He sent His only begotten Son to die on our behalf. He once and for all proved, I will do whatever it takes. 
I will literally do anything. I will even go to lengths the enemy cannot comprehend. I will go to lengths that would shock the enemy for you. And he proved it when his son died for us. The third way that he proves that he's for us is the way that he justifies us. It says there in verse number 9, much more than being now justified by his blood. He justifies us. While the accuser of the brethren seeks to do the opposite, I praise God that he stands ready by Christ Jesus to justify us, to make us just as if we had never sinned by the blood of the Lamb. And then lastly, he proves that he is for us by saving us, by delivering us from wrath to come. Now, with this understanding of how God feels about you, I ask the question again, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The second thing we see back there in Romans chapter number 8, if you'll turn there with me, is that evil wants to deprive you. Evil wants to deprive you. Look at verse number 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Evil wants to deprive you. But the blood of Christ proves that God will supply us with all we will ever need. While evil stands trying to figure out ways to remove from your Christian life the things that you desperately need. You say, preacher, what are you, what are you trying to get at here? Well, I'll just, I wrote down a few examples of what it is that, that evil tries to steal away from us and deprive us of that God supplies us with. I just wrote these down and I, I, I chose not to go more towards the physical realm, but more towards the emotional and spiritual realm. For example, evil understands that within every man there and every woman, there is a sense of needing to be loved. Evil knows that. And so guess what evil seeks to deprive you of? It seeks to deprive you of a sense of being loved. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody even knows who I am. Evil has done that. Evil seeks to deprive you of a sense of being loved. But, you ready for this? God supplies us in the purest way of the love that we desperately need. How has He done it? Through the blood of the Lamb. God literally spilt His own blood to prove His love for us who desperately need love. Secondly, God, while evil... Evil also understands that we have a need to be accepted. That when we feel rejected, it, it completely demoralizes us. And so what does evil do? Evil seeks to deprive you of a sense of being accepted. Evil wants you to be convinced that you are rejected. And so what does God do? God comes along, allows His Son's blood to be spilled on the cross of Calvary so that you and I can be accepted. The very thing evil seeks to deprive you of is the very thing that the blood of Jesus supplies you with. Wrap your mind around that, dear Christian. 
God meets our need to be loved by the blood. God meets our need to be accepted by the blood. God meets our need to be useful by the blood. God meets our need to be empowered by the blood. And God meets our need to be saved by the blood. Everything that evil seeks to deprive you of is supplied by the blood, the wonder-working power of the blood of the Lamb. All of our greatest needs are supplied by the blood. Thirdly, evil wants to condemn you. Look back at Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and verse 34. I love this passage of Scripture. It says in verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness, making condemnation, listen, making condemnation impossible. Christ has justified you if you've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If your soul today is resting in what Jesus has done for you, understand, dear Christian, that Christ has justified you. He has died for you. He has risen for you. And even at this present moment, in light of the great darkness and evil we are facing, Christ is interceding for you. And for that reason, it is impossible to condemn someone who has been justified by God Himself. I want you to write that down. I want you to think about that today. I want you to think about tomorrow and the next day. It is impossible to condemn someone who has been justified by God Himself. Is there any higher justification? Is there any higher relinquishing of condemnation? Then for God Himself to make a way through Jesus for you and I to escape condemnation. And once we have been freed from condemnation by God, once we have tasted of the forgiveness that is offered by Christ, who does this, this evil, wicked serpent think he is? To somehow conjure up and bring back up in our hearts the sins that have already been taken care of by the blood of the Lamb. The final thing evil seeks to do, I know we're just a bit past time, but that's okay. Evil wants to kidnap you. Evil wants to kidnap you. Sounds pretty alarming, doesn't it? You know what's sad? Most of the time when evil breaks in to kidnap us, we've already got our bags packed and we're itching to go. When evil breaks into the house to carry us away captive, we run out the door. Can't hardly wait. Don't realize that evil's leading us to our ultimate demise. You know, the blood of Christ was the only adequate ransom for our souls. We shared this morning, one of the prayer requests was that there's a group of 17 missionaries that were kidnapped by a gang in Haiti in the last 24 hours. Devastating. I mean, you, you, you can imagine. Imagine your teenager 
goes off on a mission trip. And they're literally driving one last time over to this, over to this um, orphanage that they had built. And on their way back, they are interrupted by a gang and, held, and now they're held captive today. There's discussions between the mission group and the U.S. Embassy right now trying to figure out how are we going to get these people back. Can you imagine? And you know that's exactly what, and, and the purpose, the whole idea that these gangs, what these gangs do is they find high-profile individuals that they can kidnap so that they can get big-dollar ransoms. That's how some people in Haiti are making their money right now. It's why this year alone, already last year, the whole year of 2020, I believe there were some 254 kidnappings in Haiti. And already this year, before the end of the year is even met yet, there are almost to 400 kidnappings. Because people are figuring out, hey, this is big money stuff here. We can make 10, 20, 50 grand in a week. That's what's going on in Haiti right now. And as we think about that, we are appalled by the reality of it. But do you understand, dear Christian, that that's exactly what evil is seeking to do with you and your family, your home, and your church? Seeking to kidnap you. That's why in verse number 35 it says, Who shall separate us? Listen to this, dear Christian. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Listen, evil will try to use torment, try to use temptation... Excuse me, try to use terror to try to kidnap God's people, to kidnap their hearts, to kidnap their their minds, to kidnap their entire lives. And here's what's amazing. The very, listen, the Holy Spirit was so sweet, so sweet. I wish I had another two hours to just share with you all the different things that are etched into this that I don't have time to share with you. But just as evil seeks to use torment, temptation, and terror to try to tear you and I down and kidnap us, those are the very three things that Christ endured. Christ endured torment. He endured temptation. He endured terror. And He endured all of it as a ransom for us. Spilled out His blood so that we can be rightly and eternally His. Evil seeks to kidnap you, but understand that Jesus, by the blood, has already paid the ransom. He endured the torment. He endured the temptation. He endured the terror so that you do not have to be kidnapped by it. What a wonder-working power there is in the blood of the Lamb. In closing, look with me at verse 37. We'll read down through the end of the chapter with very little commentary. Just want to give one last thought to close it out. The Bible says in verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are... What's it say? Let's all, can we all just read this verse together out loud? Can we do that? Let's all start right there. Again, let's start over there in verse number 37. Read it with me. It says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. There you have it. Evil's out to get you. But with Christ, evil doesn't stand a chance. We are more than conquerors. You know what that means? It means we're not just going to win. It's going to be a blowout. Do you understand what this means? When it's all said and done, the score is going to be 100,000 to zero. 
we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's time that we stop thinking along the lines that I shared with you during the introduction. Our children don't stand a chance against this evil world. Listen, when the blood of Jesus is applied to our children, this evil world doesn't stand a chance against them. Our homes, oh, our homes, they don't stand a chance against the forces of darkness. When the blood of Jesus is applied to our homes, the forces of darkness don't stand a chance against our homes. Our church, oh, it doesn't stand a chance. They're after our 501c3. They're going to they're gonna tell us what we've got to do. They're going to try to start figuring out ways to persecute our preacher and his family. Listen, when the blood of Jesus is applied to our church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Yea, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us.